Chapter 36. What Midge Carried. And while the mouse slept, Roscuro put his terrible plan into effect. Would you like to hear, reader, how it all unfolded? The story is not a pretty one. There is violence in it and cruelty. But stories are not, but stories that are not pretty have a certain value too, I suppose. Everything, as you well know, having lived in this world long enough to have figured out a thing or two for yourself, cannot always be sweetness and light. Listen, this is how it happened. First, the rat finished once and for all the job he had started long ago. He chewed through Gregory's rope all the way through it so that the jailer became lost in the maze of the dungeon. Late at night, when the castle was dark, the serving girl, Midgery Sow, climbed the stairs to the princess's room. In her hand, she carried a candle, and in the pockets of her apron were two very ominous things. In the right pocket, hidden in case they should encounter anyone on the stairs, was a rat with a spoon on his head and a cloak of red around his shoulders. In the left pocket was a kitchen knife, the same knife that Midgery Sow had used to cut off the tail of a certain mouse. These were the things, a rat and a knife and a candle that Midge carried with her as she climbed up, up, up the stairs. Gore, she shouted to the rat. It's dark, ain't it? Yes, yes, whispered Roscuro from her pocket. It is quite dark, my dear. When I'm a princess, began Midge. Shh, said Roscuro. May I suggest that you keep your glorious plans for the future to yourself? And may I further suggest that you keep your voice down to a whisper? We are, after all, on a covert mission. Do you know how to whisper, my dear? I do, shouted Midge. Then please, said Roscoe, please institute this knowledge immediately. Gar, whispered Midge. All right. Thank you, said Roscoe. Do I need to review with you again our plan of action? I got it all straight, right here in my head, whispered Midge and she tapped the side of her head with one finger. How comforting, said Roscoe. Perhaps, dear, we should go over it again. One more time, just to be sure. Well, said Midge, we go into the princess's room, and she will be sleeping and snoozing and snoring, and I will wake her up and show her the knife and say, if you does not want to get hurt, princess, you must come with me. And you will not hurt her, said Roscoe. No, I won't, because I want her to live so that she can be my lady-in-waiting when I become a princess. Exactly, said Roscoe. That will be her divine comeuppance. Gore, whispered Midge. Yes, 
her divine comeuppance. Midge had, of course, no idea what the phrase divine comeuppance meant, but she very much liked the sound of it, and she repeated it over and over to herself until Rusturo said, and then, and then, continued Midge, I tells her to get out of her princess bed and come with me on a little journey. Ha, said Rusturo, a little journey, that is right. Ha, I love the understatement of that phrase, a little journey. Oh, it will be a little journey, indeed it will. And then, said Midge, who was now coming to her favorite part of the plan, we will take her to the deep downs and we gives her some long lessons in how to be a serving girl. And we gives me some short lessons in how to be a princess. And when we is all done studying up, we switch places. I gets to be the princess and she gets to be the maid. Guard. Reader, this is the very plan that Roscuro presented to Midge when he first met her. It was, of course, a ridiculous plan. No one would ever, not for one blind minute, mistake Midge for the princess, or the princess for Midge. But, Major Sal, as I pointed out to you before, was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And reader too, she wanted so desperately to become a princess. She wanted, oh, how she wanted. And it was because of this terrible wanting that she was able to believe in Roscuro's plan with every ounce of her heart. The rat's real plan was, in a way, more simple and more terrible. He intended to take the princess to the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. He intended to have Midge put chains on the princess's hands and her feet. And he intended to keep the glittering, glowing, laughing princess there in the dark forever. Chapter 37 a small taste. Small taste. She was asleep and dreaming of her mother, the queen, <laughs> who was holding out a spoon to her and saying, taste this, my sweet pea. Taste this, my darling, and tell me what you think. The princess leaned forward and sipped some soup from the spoon that her mother held out to her. Oh, mama, she said, it's wonderful. It's the best soup I have ever eaten. Yes, said the queen. It is wonderful, isn't it? May I have some more, said the pea. I gave you a small taste so that you would not forget, said her mother. I gave you a small taste so that you would remember. I want more. But as soon as the princess said this, her mother was gone. She disappeared and the bowl and the soup spoon disappeared along with her. Lost things, said the pea. More lost things. And then she heard her name. She turned happy, thinking that her mother had come back, but the voice was not her mother's. The voice belonged to somebody else, and it was coming from someplace far away. 
and it was telling her to wake up. Wake up. The pea opened her eyes and saw Midgery's sow standing over her bed, a knife in one hand and a candle in the other. Midge, she said. Gore, said Midge softly. Say it, commanded Rusgiro. Midge closed her eyes and shouted her piece. If you does not want to get hurt, princess, you must come with me. Whatever for, said the princess in an annoyed tone. As I have noted before, the princess was not a person who was used to being told what to do. What are you talking about? Midge opened her eyes and shouted, You got to come with me. So after we take some lessons, you some long lessons and me some short ones, together way down in the deep downs, I can be you and you can be me. No, shouted Rescuro from Midge's pocket. No, no, you're doing it wrong. Who said that? Your Highness, said Rescuro. And he crawled out of Midge's pocket and made his way up to her shoulder and situated himself there, laying his tail across her neck to balance himself. Your Highness, he said again. And he raised the spoon slowly off his head and smiled, displaying his mouthful of truly hideous teeth. I think it would be best if you do as Midgery Sow suggests. She is, as you can quite clearly see, in possession of a knife, a large knife. And she will, if pushed, use it. This is ridiculous, the princess said. You can't threaten me. I'm a princess. We, said Rescuro, are all too aware of the fact of what you are. A knife, however, cares nothing for the fact that you are royalty, and you will bleed, I assume, just like any other human. The pea looked at Midge. Midge smiled. The knife glinted in the light of the candle. Midge, she said, her voice shaking the tiniest bit. I really do not think, Sebastian, that Midge would need much persuasion to use that knife, Princess. She is a dangerous individual, easily led. But we are friends, said the pea. Aren't we, Midge? Eh, said Midge. Trust me, said Ruskiro, you are not friends. And I think it would be best if you addressed all your communications to me, Princess. I am the one in charge here. Look at me. The pea looked right directly at the rat and at the spoon on his head. Her heart skipped one beat and then two. Do you know me, Princess? No, she said, lowering her head. I don't know you. But reader, she did know him. He was the rat who had fallen in her mother's soup and he was wearing her dead mother's spoon on his head. The princess kept her head down. She concentrated on containing the rage that was leaping up inside of her. Look again, princess. Or can you not bear to look? Does it pain your royal sensibilities to let your eyes rest on a rat? I don't know you, she said, and I'm not afraid to look at you. The pea raised her head slowly. Her eyes were defiant. She stared at the rat. Very well, 
said Rescuer. Have it your way. You do not know me. Nevertheless, you must do as I say, as my friend here has a knife. So get out of bed, princess. We are going on a little journey. I would like it if you dressed in your loveliest gown, the one that you were wearing at a banquet not so long ago. And put on your crown, said Midge. Put that on your princess head. Yes, said Roscuro. Please, princess, do not forget your crown. The pea, still staring at Roscuro, pushed the covers back and got out of bed. Move quickly, said Roscuro. We must take our little journey while it is still dark. And while the rest of the castle sleeps on, ignorant, oh, so ignorant, I am afraid of your fate. The princess took a gown from her closet. Yes, said Roscuro to himself, that is the one, the very one. Look at how it sparkles in the light. Lovely. I will need someone to do my buttons, said the princess as she stepped into the dress. Midge, you must help me. Little princess, said Roscoe, do you think that you can outsmart a rat? Our dear Midgery Sow will not lay down her knife, not even for a moment. Will you, Midgery Sow? Because that might ruin your chances of becoming a princess. Isn't that right? Gore, said Midge, that's right. And so while Midge held the knife pointed in the direction of the princess, the pea sat and let the rat crawl over her back, doing her buttons up for her, one by one. The princess held very still. The only movement she allowed herself was this. She licked her lips over and over again because she thought that she could taste there the sweet saltiness of the soup that her mother had fed her in her dream. I have not forgotten, Mama, she whispered. I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten soup. Chapter 38. To the dungeon. The strange threesome made their way down the golden stairs of the castle. The princess and Midge walked side by side and Roscuro hid himself again in the pocket of Midge's apron, and Midge pointed the sharp tip of the knife at the princess's back, and together they went down, down, down. The princess was led to her fate, as everyone around her, everyone, slept. The king slept in his giant bed with his crown on his head, and his hands crossed on his chest, dreaming that his wife, the queen, was a bird with green and gold feathers, called out his name, Philip, 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 without ceasing. Cook slept in a too small bed off the kitchen, dreaming of a recipe for soup that she could not find. Where did I put that? She mumbled in her sleep. Where did that recipe go? It was for the queen's favorite soup. I must find it. And not far from the cook, in the pantry, atop a bag of flour, slept the mouse, Despero, dreaming, as you know, of knights in shining armor, of darkness and of light. 
and in the whole of the darkened sleeping castle there was only the light of the candle in the hand of Midgery Sal. The candle shone on the princess's dress and made it sparkle, and the princess walked tall in the light and tried not to be afraid. In this story, reader, we have talked about the heart of the mouse and the heart of the rat and the heart of the serving girl, Midgery Sal. But we have not talked about the heart of the princess. Like most hearts, it was complicated, shaded with dark and dappled with light. The dark things in the princess's heart were these, a very small, very hot, burning coal of hatred for the rat who was responsible for her mother's death. And the other darkness was a tremendous sorrow, a deep sadness that her mother was dead and that the princess could now only talk to her in her dreams. And what of the light that was in the princess's heart? Reader, I am pleased to tell you that P was a kind person. And perhaps more important, she was empathetic. Do you know what it means to be empathetic? I will tell you. It means that when you are being forcibly taken to a dungeon, when you have a large knife pointed at your back, when you are trying to be brave, you are able still to think for a moment of the person who is holding the knife. You are able to think, oh, poor Midge. She wants to be a princess so badly, and she thinks this is the way. Poor, poor Midge. What must it be like to want something that desperately? That, reader, is empathy. And now you have a small map of the princess's heart. Hatred, sorrow, kindness, empathy. The heart that she carried inside her as she went down the golden stairs and through the kitchen. And finally, just as the sky outside the castle began to lighten, down into the dark of the dungeon with the rat and the serving girl. Chapter 39, Missing. The sun rose and shed light on what Rusguro and Midgery Sow had done. And finally, Despero awoke. But alas, he awoke too late. I haven't seen her, Louise was shouting. And I tell you, I wash my hands of her. If she's missing, I say good riddance. Good riddance and bad rubbish. Despero sat up. He looked behind him. Oh, his tail, gone. Given over to the knife, and where the tail should be nothing but a bloody stub. And more foul play. Gregory, dead, shouted the cook. Poor old man, that rope of his broken by who knows what, and him lost in the dark and frightened to death because of it. It's too much. Oh, no, whispered Despero. Oh, no. Gregory is dead. The mouse got to his feet and began the long climb down from the shelf. Once he was on the floor, he stuck his head around the corner of the pantry and saw a cook standing in the center of the kitchen wringing her fat hands. Beside her stood a tall woman jangling a ring of keys. That's right, said Louise. 
All the king's men was down there searching for her in the dungeon, and when they come back up, who do they have with them? They have the old man dead. And now you tell me that Midge is missing, and I say, who cares? Despero made a small noise of despair. He had slept too long. The rat had already acted. The princess was gone. What kind of world is it, Miss Louise, where princesses are taken from right under our noses and queens drop dead and we cannot even take comfort in soup? And with this, Cook began to cry. Hush, said Louise, I beg you, do not say that word. Soup, shouted the cook. I will say it. No one can stop me. Soup, soup, soup. And then she began to cry in earnest, wailing and sobbing. There, said Louise. She put a hand out to touch Cook, and Cook slapped it away. It will be all right, said Louise. Cook brought the hem of her apron up to wipe at her tears. It won't, she said. It won't be all right ever again. They've taken our little darling away. There ain't nothing left to live for without the princess. Despero was amazed to have exactly what was in his heart spoken aloud by such a ferocious and mouse-hitting woman as the cook. Louise again reached out to touch Cook, and this time Cook allowed her to put her arm around her shoulder. What will we do? What will we do? wailed the cook. And Louise said, shh, there, there. Alas, there was no one to comfort Despero, and there was no time anyway for him to cry. He knew what he had to do. He had to find the king. For having heard Rascaro's plan, reader, Despero knew that the princess was hidden in the dungeon, and being somewhat smarter than Midgery Sow, he sensed the terrible unspoken truth behind Rascaro's words. He knew that Midge could never be a princess, and he knew that the rat, once he captured the pea, would never let her go. And so the small mouse, who had been dipped in oil, covered in flour, and relieved of his tail, slipped out of the pantry and past the weeping ladies. He went to find the king. Read the next chapter, read the next chapter, read the next chapter.